Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. Welcome to Metron Live podcast, coming to you from the Atlanta Theater in uh, this part of A-Town. Metron people, would you please welcome the podcast people? Let them know we're glad to be Thanks, as always, Charles, for making this possible. We appreciate it. I am in a uh, series, and I love this series. I, I love what we talked about last week, and I love I love the energy that's on a series. Because when I'm in series mode, then every conversation I have during the week, uh, things I listen to, com- you just there's just lots of confirmation. So our title. We're, I'm taking it from Psalm 139.14, which in the King James Version says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And as I told you last week, uh, Elizabethan English uses the word fearful as we would use the word awesome. So we say I'm fearfully made. It doesn't mean we're afraid of God. It means that we're we're blown away at how amazing the human body is. So the title is Awesomely, Wonderfully Made, Unlocking Self-Esteem by Discovering the Miracle of You. And I want to go back and look at, uh, I love different translations of the Bible. I love, I love words. I love um, uh, interpretation. I love translation. I love how different linguists will pick up the essence of what the writer was saying. And sometimes just a different word or a different phrase will totally turn that diamond and let you see a whole different facet. Like, for instance, if you grew up in church, you probably grew up hearing people, quote, bring up a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he'll not depart from it. The Amplified Bible shows that what the Hebrew actually said, the emphasis is bring up a child in the way he or she should go. Not It doesn't mean just raise them right and they'll end up all right, because we, we've all raised children, we know... There's a little bit of a crapshoot in that one, right? (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't be a good parent, but your kids, they kind of come in fully formed. And, you know, the best you can do, uh, oh, y'all are perfect parents. Uh, (laughs) The best you can do is kind of guide them toward who they, the best version of who they, how they came in. And in the Amplified, it says, bring up a child in the way he should go according to his individual gift or bent. Well, that's a completely different meaning. That's not some monolithic thing about raising kids right. What that's really talking about is find out what's unique about your son or your daughter and play to that strength. You know, not everybody's going to go to college. Not everybody's going to not everybody's going to end up with the the marrying the person you picked out for them. Am I getting too, am I getting too real? You know, with my four kids, between my four children and all of their girlfriends and ex-husbands and uh, like I, I in my Facebook memories, I've got to where now when we're all together, I'm like, let me just get a picture with just my kids because there's always like, well, I can't use that picture now. I can't use that picture now. I can't use that one. <laughs> I got lots of those and. My whole thing is like I'm. I want y'all to be happy, and just keep me up to date with who we're 
who we're back together with, who we're not. Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes you're going to show up at a family thing with somebody that, oh, I thought that was done. No, they've been, okay, just trying to trying to keep up and not really have a lot of opinions about it. Can I tell you something about having opinions about the people that your children love? It not only does it change their opinion, it has a tendency to galvanize them, to make them, <laughs> make them enamored with that person even more. Now, that may not be your case, your experience, but uh, <laughs> people are going to love who they're going to love, and you're not going to change that. You're expressing opinions about it. I'm prophesying now. You're you're expecting you're expressing opinions about it is only going to make a, a negative situation worse. So I'm just telling you that. That's your free part. All right. Let me show you. This is Psalm 139, 14. This is in the Living Bible. Some of y'all remember when the Living Bible came out in the late 60s, what a big deal it was. This is how this is interpreted. Instead of, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, he says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Isn't that cool? It is amazing to think about. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. Have you ever done some introspection and think, you know, I'm just, I'm a hot mess. Like, what, what is the problem? And no, you're not. You're just wonderfully complex. <laughs> no, you are. It's like I've told you this before, but they did a, a study, and I'm not against astrology. If astrology works for you, whatever, I'm, I'm good with whatever works for you. But they did a, a study, Harvard, Yale, one of these Ivy League schools, where they asked everyone to write in a piece of paper what their astrological sign was. And then they gave them the profile to read of that sign. And they asked uh, these skeptical students, was was this accurate for Aries? Was this ac accurate for Capricorn, Sagittarius? And everybody in the class was like, this is uncanny. This is me exactly. This is incredible. I had no idea they could call it so perfectly. And come to find out everybody had been given the exact same profile. So the thing is, there's certain things that you can read into. Like I could say to every, every one of you in here, do you feel discouraged sometimes? And you'd be like, oh my God. How does he know? Why? Because it's the human condition. And um, there's just some things that are true across the board. It doesn't mean there can't be a word in season for somebody. It just means you have to also know that some things are, you're complex. You're, you're not any one thing. You're a little bit of everything. Uh, so I'm just totally optimistic. Maybe not all the, if, like if you're always optimistic, there might be something missing. <laughs> you might be out of touch with reality. I mean, sometimes it's great to be optimistic, but you have to balance optimism with realism. Can you hear me? All right. Now let me show you, uh, this is out of, uh, the exegesis companion Bible. I've never used this before. But I, I like this quote, Psalm 139, 14. 
He says, I spread my hands to you, for I am awesomely distinguished. That's a cool phrase. Marvelous are your works, and my soul knows that right will. I love that. I'm awesomely complex. I'm awesomely uh, distinguished. My eccentricities are what makes me wonderful. Uh, you know, I'm, I can I can be a, a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. And then I'm going to show you this third one. This is out of the um, Young's literal translation. Thank you. Uh, Psalm one thirty nine fourteen. He says, and he uses for some reason he uses Elizabethan uh, pronouns. I confess thee because that with wonders I have been distinguished. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul is knowing it well. The reason I like to show you a passage from a lot of different translations is when you see them all together, you start picking up the essence of this is what he's saying. David it, it, David is having self-discovery. I mean, David could be very... Um, Anything you felt, David could feel it. He was very transparent. He was very emotional. Um, and sometimes could get down on himself. You know, he could, he could go from pomposity to, you know, I know you think about me all the time to, you know, what the heck is wrong with me? And that's because we all feel that way. That's just natural. If you don't feel a little bit of that, at some time, you know, there's something wrong. You should, there should be a little bit of kind of everything in your uh, makeup. Some things will be more dominant than others. Um, and you sometimes you'll find something that you need to work on. But I'll tell you this, you are who you are. However you came in, that's how you are. So you have to learn how to be, a instead of trying to change yourself, be a steward of who you are. Uh, I know there are certain things in my personality that I could look at in some way and think, I don't like that about myself. And in the other way, I think that's what's made me a great teacher. You know, I have a tendency to be too empathetic, too transparent. I, you know, it always made me <laughs> maybe not a good counselor because when people tell me their stuff, I could empathize with every everybody's, like somebody would tell me some horrible thing they did and I think, I get it, you know. Like, oh, I'm not supposed to. I'm not supposed to tell you. <laughs> I'm supposed to be horrified at what you're telling me, and I'm like, I don't know. Given your story, I could see how that could happen. I'm not supposed to say that as a minister. I'm supposed to say you tell you this is a right way. And I'm like, I understand, you know. Life's hard. Uh, <laughs> so sometimes I would give people like, here's what I'm supposed to tell you, and here's what I will tell you, and between those two polarities, you'll find some truth for yourself. Because I also learned over the years that without, I mean, there are some exceptions, but even when people come to you for counseling, they've kind of already made up in their mind what they're going to do. They're just waiting for you to confirm it. or Like, you don't really change. I mean, on some occasions I've changed somebody's direction, but not always. And so I've had to learn, you know, which direction are they going anyway? And what's what's the best thing I can give them? And another thing that I do, and I've, I've been accused of being self-absorbed and talking about myself too much. As a matter of fact, when I took pastoral counseling in college, that was the number one rule. Is you never talk about yourself. You always make it about the 
person you're counseling. Well, it's not that I just want to talk about me all the time, but I can only relate. Like when you tell me what you're going through, I can, I will think, well, I went through a similar thing and this is how I worked it out. This is what worked for me. Even last night, uh, I called Jonah, but Jonah told me to watch some movie and I, we ended up watching it last night and I wanted to discuss it with him. He was telling me that Sophie has a job opportunity that's totally not in her field, but it could be a really good financial um, advantage. And he said, you know, we're still trying to figure out what to do because it's not something she would normally go after, but it's it's one of those things where she met somebody that knew somebody that it could open a door. And I said, well, what I have told people in the past when it's a thing like that is go ahead and pursue it and pray over it and say, I'm, I'm going in this direction. I'm going to, cause I can't just ignore it. I mean, this may be an opportunity that God or the universe has opened up for me. So here I go and I'm, I'm making a move toward it. And if there's a green light on it, I'm going to assume that's a yes. And if it's not, then I'm going to assume I'm not supposed to do this, but you have to, for lack of a better term, you have to throw a lot of stuff, a lot of spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. You know, because I mean, I've had people tell me, I got this job opportunity, but it's not really what I want to do. And I would say to them, well, do you have any other options? Not right now. Well, then you're going to have to work. It doesn't mean you're going to be locked into this forever. So start moving in that direction and pray over it. And then if there is a red light, don't freak out over it. Just say, okay, well, then I'm not supposed to do that. But I wouldn't have known if I hadn't at least made the move toward it. So... I was telling him that last night because I've done that before. I've said, this is how I've, you know, and been successful with it. You know, like, well, I'm not going to know if I don't at least move toward it. And it may be something I'm interested in that I'm not aware of right now. Okay. So Professor Daniel, who taught me to never refer to myself, would be very displeased with me because for 52 years I've been referring to myself. But I'm not just coming here. I mean, there's a purpose to it. I'm not just coming here telling you stories about me. I'm saying this is what happened to me this week, and this is what I learned from it. And I'm assuming some of y'all have been driving up <laughs> to lots of different buildings over the years to hear me tell this stuff. So I'm assuming it must something in it must resonate with you, right? Or did y'all come today and say, you know what? We cannot here one more story um let me show you this uh i referred to this last week how he watched last week he said you made me famous again and how he said you referred to me twice in your sermon but this is the uh quote that he posted that was very uh, a confirmation of what i was teaching it says for you to be here now trillions of drifting atoms had to somehow assemble in an intricate and intriguingly obliging manner to create you. Uh, it's an arrangement so specialized and particular that it has never been tried before and will only exist once. For the supremely agreeable but generally underappreciated state known as existence. Now, I mean, that's good. That's, that's awesomely made. That's fearfully and wonderfully made. That's, that's awesomely complex. How did, how did these trillions of cells 
come together in an organized way to uh, to to be me, because there will never be an, another another exact me. <laughs> All right. Uh, and the next thing I have to show you is a meme. I, I posted this earlier, but I, I, this is so in keeping with what I'm talking about. It says, hey, I hope beautiful things happen to you. And when they do, I hope you find it in your heart that you are worthy of every single one of them. Some people can't enjoy blessings because they don't feel worthy of them. Some people are constantly punishing themselves for something that they did or perceived that they did. So they go through life with an imposter syndrome, thinking, you know, if people only knew what I'm really like, they'd know I don't deserve anything I, I have. And it's, it's just a lie. Um, it's, we're empowered well, let me show you the next meme, this next quote. I'm going to quote the Oprah. I can't call her, I have, can't call her Oprah Winfrey. She's the Oprah. She's in a whole other category. Uh, and this is simple, but it just says, you are worthy because you were born. Let me tell you why I think this is important. In traditional Christianity, we were kind of taught, nobody actually said it, but it was implied, God really can't stand you. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, he's going to somehow be able to stomach you because he can only see you through the blood. He likes Jesus, but you're, you're gross. And so you've got to, you got to stay, you know, hiding behind Jesus. When you get to heaven, you'd be like, nobody better know I'm here. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, that was our theology. Uh, even some of the hymns that I love, you know, uh, like lines that would say, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. So there's this idea that the only way God can ever even look at me is because of Jesus. And I, I find that to be problematic. I don't believe Jesus came to the earth to tell God about us. I think he came to the earth to tell us about God. I don't think he came to change God's mind about us. I think he came to change our mind about God. You're welcome. Thanks for coming. Drive safe. <laughs> You feel me? Um, that rhetorical question in Genesis, who told you you were naked? Jesus was answering it on the cross. He's crucified naked. And he's saying, I, I didn't want it to have to come to this. I believe everything was supposed to have been fulfilled on the Mount of Transfiguration. People still didn't believe they were worthy. So it, it doesn't make it doesn't lessen my respect for the atonement. If anything, it makes me admire it even more. Because I don't think there's an angry sky god that needed it. I believe that there are people who believed, and, and who only believed that blood sacrifice would, 
would take care of it. So he does blood sacrifice, but it wasn't necessary. It's like doing something for somebody that you don't need, but they need it. Like, I don't need, I couldn't love you any more than I already do, but let me show you this or do this thing for you so that you'll change your perception of yourself. And the reason I like, as simple as that is, you're worthy because you were born. That, I mean, that kind of flies in the face of, you know, the whole concept of the fall and, uh, you know, uh, total depravity and, and sin, my mother conceived me. Those, were, those are all different verses that are taken out of context. Context is so important. If you don't have context, you don't know what the writer's talking about. I heard a joke this week. And you may think, how are you? How did you get that out of the joke? But just to me, it explains what context is. Man and husband and wife are in bed one night. Knock on the door, three a.m. Man gets up, goes, opens the door. There's a man standing there, and he says, "I'm sorry to bother you, but can you give me a push?" And the man says, it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm not coming out to give you a push. Who do you think you are? Closes the door, goes back upstairs. His wife says, what was that about? She said, some guy at the door wanted me to give him a push. And she said, what if that was you? What if that was you out somewhere and you were stranded and you needed someone to give you a push? You would want somebody to help you. And he said, all right, I'll do it. So he gets up. Puts his robe on, goes back downstairs, opens the door. Hey, buddy, are you still out here? And he hears a voice. A guy says, yeah, I'm still here. Do you still need a push? He said, yes, I do. I need a push. And he's standing there. He said, I, I don't see where you are. Where are you? He said, I'm sitting in the swing. <laughs> All he wanted was a push. <laughs> and to me, that's a classic example of context. When I say he needed a push, you're all thinking, get behind a car, the guy must be stranded. And it's a different reality. No, it's a guy that... It's actually kind of creepy to think some guys. <laughs> There's a part to that joke that gives me the willies. Like, why is there a guy at your house in the middle of the night on your swing? But, uh, but the point is, so there are some things that were like, for instance, when David said, "I was born in sin, and in sin my mother conceived me." That wasn't some statement for the entire human race. That was something he was saying in the context of Psalm 51 when he felt was feeling so horrible about stealing the wife of his good friend and having the man murdered. And that's as bad as it gets. And he said, what he's saying is, it's like, it's like I was conceived in sin. Like he's saying, I'm, I'm so horrible. I feel so horrible about myself. And he should have. He wasn't saying this is true for everybody. You know, when you poll people, most people who grew up out of Christian culture 
say, what's your favorite hymn? Most people will say Amazing Grace. And it's a fabulous song. I love it. But when um, John Newton wrote it, it was his mea culpa or his repentance for the slave trade. He'd been a slave trader. And when he said, I once was lost, but now I'm found I was blind, but now I can see. It's like he had had an epiphany to realize, what, what am I doing? I don't know who got to him to change his opinion, but when he said, who saved a wretch like me, like, yes, that was wretched what you did. You were buying and selling human beings. That's wretched. And you should feel terrible about it. I'm glad that you were blind, now you can see. But but people for generations have sung that song and taken on that wretchedness. Saved a wretch like me. Well, I'm you know, Paul comes along and says, In my flesh dwells no good thing. That's an extreme statement. You gotta take that with a grain of salt. In your flesh dwells no good thing. I mean, come on. The the worst person in the world, there's probably something about them that was you know, redeemable or or noteworthy. And what he was saying is, I feel so bad. We've all been there before where we did something that we felt we punished ourselves so much about it. Like, there's no need anybody else say anything to make you feel bad about yourself because there's nothing could compete with what you were already saying to yourself. It's like you couldn't insult me any even anywhere near to what I'm already saying to myself. There's nothing you could say to make me feel any worse. You know, I, I get it why, you know, if somebody murders somebody and they go to trial, they have this thing where the uh, victim's family can address the guy. Victim say, and I get it. I guess it gives some closure. But some of these people have done such horrible things. What could you possibly say? I mean, I guess in theory it's okay. But what could you... What could you possibly say to change it? Oh, I'm sorry, I murdered your child. Like, you know, okay, well, thanks. It's like there's some things that you're like, I blew it so bad. What could I possibly say to make this up? Well, now, Bishop, that sounds, you sound, that's the opposite of what you're saying about we're worthy. No, you could be worthy and still do something horrible. I'm not saying you should all walk out of here and say, Bishop taught us today we're worthy because we were born. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to steal your car. <laughs> There's still right and wrong. You can live through the tree of life and still know the difference between right and wrong. You don't have to, you don't have to perceive everything through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Those, those are two completely different things. It's like back when, uh, I've told you this before, but when some of you may not know this, but Felicia, who comes here, she's not here all the time, but when she's here, she usually sits right there. But, you know, back when the shooting happened at Heritage High School years ago, her daughter, Kanaya, was shot in the leg. And uh, so in a statement, because during that time I was there at the hospital with her and the, the news reporters were there, and Kanaya had said in an interview, I forgive the guy who shot me. To which the reporter said, did your pastor tell you to say that? And I thought... I don't tell people what to say. Like, like what? You honestly think I'm standing by her bed going, save it? I mean, what? Could, really? But anyway, she says, no, that's what I said. I didn't say that to her. I didn't tell her to do that. 
Well, buddy, my phone lit up with preachers in town saying, you better tell that girl that that boy needs to pay his debt to society. And I said, I don't think she said he shouldn't be incarcerated. Forgiveness doesn't mean you don't obey the law. He shot people. I don't think he killed anybody, but he did. It was a random shooting. Yeah, whatever the penalty is for that, sure. When I started uh, preaching ultimate reconciliation years ago, which I think I've even moved past that. I don't even think that's how you would describe me now. I think I'm in a whole other area. But um, people would say to me, "Are you just saying everybody should get out of prison?" I'm like, no, that's not, that's nothing to do with their eternity. I mean, there's a lot of people who are there falsely accused. That's true. But I mean, I'm not saying, oh, I said, I may believe you're not going to hell and still be afraid of you. <laughs> need you by, I need you behind those bars. That doesn't mean I'm like, oh, well, Jesus saved us all. Let's go. Well, no, you may still, <laughs> you got some work to do. Uh, anyway, I think, I think you, you know the point. Let me tell you why, um, yeah. Before I, I'm going to show you um, meditation that I actually wrote last year, but I redid it for uh, a little bit for this year, and it's very much in line with the quote that I used that Howie uh, written. But um, let, let me before I finish with this, let me just say there are some things you have to believe about yourself. Um, about your own worthiness or you'll never you'll never have boundaries you'll never know how to say no you'll end up agreeing to stuff that you don't really believe in uh, self-esteem affects the choices you make in relationships in jobs I mean it affects everything when people say why would you talk about that in a, in a setting like this, because this is super important. I could go so far to say that Jesus even died for self-esteem. So, oh no, he died to save the world. I know, but the world didn't know it didn't need to be saved. He's the Savior of all men, especially them that believe. Not everybody believes. So, that's how important and holy self-esteem is. You've got to know where your boundaries are, what you're going to say no to, what you're not going to not going to give in to just because somebody manipulates you. This thing happened last week. I don't know why this struck me so funny. I don't even think Ken understands why it's funny. It just is. But I have um, my entire life I've dealt with I don't even like to say the word. It rhymes with smurtigo. And it starts with a V. Alfred Hitchcock did a movie called that. And um, before I talk about this, please don't text me and tell me that there are things on YouTube about how you can hang your head off the side of the bed. I know all that stuff. It does not work. And when you tell me that stuff, it makes me nauseous. Even talking about it right now, I got to get off the subject because I'm like, the room's going to spin if we don't do it. And uh, it's a it's a situation with an inner ear. And as I look back now, I realize I've kind of dealt with at different times. I, I, I remember being in French class when I was in high school, and 
saying, may I be excused, please? I don't feel good. And I remember walking out in the hallway and just the whole room just went, and I, and I fell. And I remember one of the football coaches said, get up off the floor. And I said, I can't. And, uh, I mean, I passed out on a plane once and, you know, it's just, it's just a thing. And, but I have learned in recent years, and these are my own, I can't promise you it's going to work for you, but I have learned now when I start feeling it coming on, there's a very definite feeling that comes with it. I've learned how to get in front of it. There's certain things, there's certain medications that I keep with me at all times just because it's the devil and you never know when it's going to hit you. There's no warning to it. I mean, I literally have, like in the morning, you know, when you wake up and you switch sides, I've literally done it where I've just felt totally fine and just switching sides, I could hear, you feel those, there's these little tiny microscopic balls in your, um, there's three of them, and they're in your inner ear, and when they get out of alignment, they affect your, affect everything. And I've had it so bad at sometimes that I would think if, if this isn't going to get better, somebody's going to call Dr. Kravorkian. Because this is worse than any pain I've ever had. There's no way I can exist. I mean, I've preached with pain before. I can do that, but when you have a bad case of V, it just shuts you down. You can't, there's nothing you can do about it. And it's just, you never know when it's going to come up. So, um, Ken stays out in Greensboro during the week. So we, he calls me the same time every night. And usually we will always say, how's your back today? Did you see the chiropractor? And, you know, so, some, some nights it's better than others. And sometimes he'll say, oh, I'm going to go tomorrow. I'm like, well, I'll speak healing to you. And sometimes I will say to him, he knows what I mean. I'll say, I'm feeling a little V-ish. And, and that means, and he says, oh, I'm sorry. And I'll say, it's fine. I'll get past it. I'm sure I'll take my stuff. And when I get in the morning, it'll be fine. And just little things I've learned to do, like when you start feeling it come on, don't lay down, sit up, like just, I, those are my little things, which I'll be happy to share with you. I don't know that it'll work for you, but they work for me. It involves anything with meclizine in it, which is in that thing called bonine. You could, uh, you used to could only get it over uh, the counter, but it's, it, it's even in one of the Dramamines now, and um, uh, I had a doctor tell me, he said, even if you take a Claritin D, sometimes it will help fix the situation with your inner ear. And I, even if I don't have anything else, even like an, uh, Excedrin migraine will even help with it. So there's, I've learned these, my little arsenal of things that when I feel the V, if I feel V-ish, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta do my thing. And so even though I deal with it a lot, I haven't had a bad case of it in quite a while. Because I've just sort of gotten in front of it. Like, I've learned how to, this is a thing that I have to deal with, and I've learned how to, you know, you've got your thing. You know, like, I've got to, you're not being in doubt and unbelief. It's like, this is a thing in my body that whatever. So, when, I think it was last weekend, he he goes on to bed before I do it, and he's usually real quiet, you know. I'll say goodnight, thank you for dinner, whatever. Um, Sometimes if I say, I'm feeling a little V-ish, he'll be like, oh, I'll just pray for you and believe it'll be better. Like we, we're usually speaking in those kind of tones because we say that stuff to each other a lot. 
one night last week, I just said, I'm feeling a little V-ish. It suddenly goes, no! <laughs> it just, I wasn't expecting, I don't know if he was feeling me, or he's like, I cannot hear you say this one more time. I don't know what it was, but it startled me, because I wasn't expecting that volume to come out of him. Usually when he's in going to bed mode, he's real quiet, and, you know, like I know, I know his posture, like he's, you know, he's, he's fixing me out. And, uh, <laughs> said it it just made me laugh and every time i've thought about it since that when i start to when i start to feel it i just hear no <laughs> but it kind of it kind of is symbolic of the way you have to be about everything do you understand what i'm saying you know the famous quote never complain about what you permit and there are things in your life, even I'd learned this, I've shared this with you already, but you know, I had cataract surgery recently, and it's amazing. I mean, yesterday it was real bright outside, and I was like looking at everything. This is, it's like seeing high-def TV for the first time. This is incredible. And I remember, Howie, here's where I'm making you famous again. Uh when I when I knew I was going to have it, because he had just had it done, and he I remember him saying to me, "You're going to be amazed to realize how bad your vision has gotten, and you've just gotten acclimated to it. You're just used to it." And and he was right. Uh, and pretty much everybody who's had it has said the same thing. You know, it's like, "Wow, I, I didn't realize <laughs> when I finally got to where I'm like driving like this, saying, I don't think I." I think I need a new prescription on my glass. Like, a <laughs> uh, couple of times I, I thought, I'm not making this up. I honestly cannot, I can't see anything. And uh, it made me think, how many things in your life do you just get used to? And that's the way it is. And you nearly have to have, it was like, when he said that loud no, it kind of shocked me. Because he's never that loud. He's not even that loud when he's fully awake. It just... Somebody said no. So every time if the room spins a little bit, I hear, I just hear, no! I'm like, okay, okay. Whew. So, so I've added that to my arsenal now, along with I keep my stuff handy in case I need to take that. But I also, because it actually, laughing about it changed the energy on it. Um. I, I shared this with some of you before the service, but uh, so I won't go into a lot of detail. But um, situation with taking care of my mother is very difficult, and uh, is becoming increasingly difficult. And um, the thought of going through another parent with dementia is the most terrifying thing in the world. Ken had a parent with dementia and one with leukemia, and I said, which was worse? He said, oh, dementia, a thousand times worse. Because at least if somebody's lucid, they can cooperate with you. And, uh, and, and, and I'm like, I can't do this again. I can't do it again. And I mean, I'm just being vulnerable. Don't tell Dr. Daniels that I'm telling my story. But... um you know, it's it's serious, and I've got to take care of it, and I will. Like, I can't move back in there and do that again, and which is what she wants. 
And um, so this thing that happened with, you know, she texts me a lot during the day, but when she calls, it's never good. Like if the, with the phone run like this, is never, it's, it's never, like something I'm about to have to drive to Snow Mountain or pick up something or do something or this is never, there's never good news on the end of it. You know how you can get used to, it's kind of like, did you ever study about Pavlov's dogs? Um, I've gotten to where every time her name comes up on the phone, I'm, I mean, I'm getting chest pains. I'm like, you know, my cardiologist said, if you don't stop the stress, she will outlive you. And so you're going to have to, you're going to have to learn how to deal, deal with it. So I'm looking and I thought, I can't just tell her not to call me. How am I going to change the energy on it? So I thought, I'm going to go into my settings. I'm going to, I'm going to take mom out of there. I'm going to write, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> and where you can put a picture, I put a, a, a poster of good vibes only. And so at least if nothing, because like two or three times she called me yesterday. And my first thing is I have a chuckle because it's so absurd on, on my phone. It comes out, this is going to be awesome. I'm like, no, it's not. But it, <laughs> but it kind of changed the energy on it. You know, it just, somehow it made it more tolerable. Because she said something to me last night that was so hurtful that I thought this would have really just ruined my night. The night and it, it, I'm looking at it. I mean, I, after we talked, and I said, no, you can't say stuff like that to me and then ask me to pray for you. That's <laughs> not going to work. And I'm, all I'm hearing is, no! <laughs> Which I didn't say that, but that's what I'm hearing. But the thing is, is I, I hung up the phone. I thought, I've got to deal with this, and I will. I will, you know, this, I can't ignore this anymore. And for all of my cousins and uncles and friends who call me who also talk to her that I'm like, I know, I know, I'm on it. I'm on it. I don't know where people think I'm at. You know, what the, like, where, where do people, what do people think I'm doing? I mean, I've already been there like three times this week. I've gone to the vet. I've done, like, anyway. I, you know, I would usually tell people with young families, if you only have one child, have another one. But I don't know. That's always the case. Because Ken, nothing against Ken's brother, but Ken had a brother, but he was the full caretaker of both his parents. I mean, they just, you know, so even if you have siblings, usually one will be more of the caretaker. When you're an only child, there's no alternative. There's no, There's not even a, a lazy brother you can call. And, I'm not saying... A lazy brother, sister, you can call and cuss out. <laughs> but anyway, my point is, healthy self-esteem will help you change the energy. And something is putting you under, no, this, I'm not, I can't, this is not going to, destroy me. This is not going to make me die prematurely. I, I'm I'm going to change this energy. Some of y'all know, uh, he may be streaming today, y'all know Kevin Broadhead. Um, he's in the hospital to have triple bypass. He's been in there for days. The reason he's been in there for days is 
There were 300 people at Piedmont Hospital ahead of him, many of whom needed transplants and stuff. So what I initially told him, I said, the very fact that they're not rushing you right into surgery is a good sign. That means this is manageable. And I'm not saying bypass isn't a scary thing, but it's, it is more of a typical procedure than it used to be. And everybody that I know that's had bypass has loved the way they felt afterward. The problem is, is this other situation was going on with his heart that could have been very life-threatening and enough that they had to call in a specialist to do, because I, I, don't, I don't understand it enough to explain it to you. But anyway, as it turns out, because he was supposed to, he's been scheduled for it twice already. And as it turns out, the really, really bad thing is not the case. That, that's, they've ruled that out. So his cardiologist said, did you ever think, you'd be happy to say, oh, it's just a triple bypass. And he said, actually, I'm not saying I don't have some, you know, dread of going over the surgery, but I'm really looking forward to feeling better. And I said, well, that's how you change the energy on something. Instead of saying, oh, God, I dread this surgery so much, you have to say, I'm going to feel so much better after this is done. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And so you have to believe in your future, believe in yourself, believe in your survival abilities to, to say, this is difficult, I will get through it, and something will be better than it was before. And, um, and just change the energy of things. Like nothing, nothing's the end of the world. Uh, nothing's... Um, Nothing's worth you killing yourself over. There's always, there's always a way to work it out. There just is. And, but if you don't really believe you should be here, if you don't really believe that you're useful and serve a purpose, you'll psychologically start killing yourself. I mean, suicide isn't always just somebody jumping off a bridge or shooting themselves. Sometimes it's, it takes a lot longer, but it's their giving up on themselves. So this is what I wrote uh, two or three years ago and updated. Um, I said, welcome, you've lived to see another year. Uh, I said, they told you that it was all going to end in 2000 with the Y2K millennium bug shutting down computers all over the, the should be all over the world and planes falling out of the sky. But that didn't happen, and you're still here. Many died on 9-11 in 2001, and it was a horrible tragedy that made us all wonder for a moment if any of us were going to survive. But you did just that. Honor the memory of those who were lost, but be grateful that you're still here. And you know, that was 24 years ago. Can you believe that? People that were born, or 23 years ago, People that were born at Y2K are married and have children of their own now. You believe that? They told you that the world was going to end in 2003, 2004, 2005, 2008, and 2009 for various cosmic reasons, but none of that happened and you're still here. They told you that the second coming of Christ was going to happen at least 13 times since the beginning of the 21st century. And the Mayans predicted centuries ago that it was all going to end in 2012, but again, didn't happen, and you're here. 
and millions all over the world have died as a result of COVID-19, but you didn't. Honor those who have perished to take care of yourself, but never underestimate the fact that you've survived a worldwide pandemic. All of those cells engaged in a mighty battle. That, wait, I think we, did we miss a... Did we miss one, Michelle? Huh. I might not have sent you the right thing. Uh, show me what the next one is. Okay, uh, something's missing, but go, go back one. What it's talking about is at, somehow I've got these out of order, but uh, it's talking about, and I know y'all are all big boys and girls, you know where babies come from. But when sperm cells um, penetrate an egg cell, there are millions of them that war. Now nah, that's fine. I figured out. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's that's one. Yeah, go back. That's what I'm looking for. There were so many natural disasters in the world last year due to climate change and other things, and many died. But you didn't. Honor their memory and do what you can to make things better, but don't allow yourself to suffer any survivor's guilt. All right, that was the next one. Now show me the next one. Uh, yes, yeah, good. Now we're good. You experienced things in your personal life last year that could have killed you, either physically or emotionally or spiritually, but you're still here. You may have some scars, but you still have life. Um, now this is where somehow something's missing here, but anyway... It's where it's talking about maybe you are fearfully and wonderfully made. At, yes, okay. At conception, you survived the sperm wars and that and penetrated an ovum against all odds to become you. Uh, all of those cells engaged in a mighty battle that only one could or would win. And millions died with one goal in mind, which was to be the first to penetrate the egg to create you. The one that survived that massive battle and became the winner out of potentially 1.2 billion to make you just as you are means that you were born a survivor and a winner. You survived the odds out of 1.2 billion and that makes you unique and very special. When you say, I've never won anything. Yeah, you did. The fact that you got born means you won. You're the spoils of war. There was a mighty battle that became that you became the trophy of war. So you came in a survivor. Then you survived a station of nine months in a foreign environment and somehow transformed yourself from a zygote into a physical human body and made a miraculous exit through a very narrow opening unless you were born through C-section, which means you survived a serious surgery. Uh, you survived childhood, many dangerous toils and snares, Y2K, 9-11, second comings, natural disasters, personal tragedies, the pandemic, and the challenges of last year, because you could survive anything. You have already accomplished the hardest part just by fighting your way into the world at conception and birth. The rest was relatively easy. Since it's already been proven that you are a survivor and a winner and that cosmic events haven't, as of yet, been able to take you out, it is therefore now incumbent upon you to make it all mean something. Overcame all of it for such a time as this, to whom much is given, much is required. Was that the end of it? 
Okay. And so that, that's the point. It's like sometimes you don't think you've overcome a lot, but then you start thinking about it and you think, you know what? This happened and that happened. I killed the lion. I killed the bear. I mean, sometimes you have to remind yourself who you are and what you've overcome. And why would, you know, whatever your idea of God is, why would God have spared you? Why would God have taken you through everything, survived everything that you, that you survived? Some of you just driving here this morning. I mean, the other day I was out somewhere and there, I passed at least five fender benders. And I mean, it made me pay attention to everything, but I thought, man, when people say, we actually were considering flying somewhere this weekend, and the person who wanted to fly us knows I don't really like to fly. So the thing is, I will if I have to. But the thing is, people die in car wrecks all the time, and I drive a car every day. So, I mean, there's, you know, you you deal with it if you have to. But um, you think about all the things you have already come through. You have already survived. And to, to then for you just to live out the rest of the time just being existing, that doesn't make much sense. So you have to say, I, I must have overcome all those obstacles for a reason. It must really matter that I'm here. I must be really difficult to get rid of. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I must matter to somebody. Somebody must have prayed for me. Somebody must believe in me. I must have some connection with somebody. Otherwise, how else would I have done it? How else could I have survived it all? And sometimes you forget you don't give yourself the proper credit. You think, oh, I'm not really strong. Yes, you are. What are you talking about? You're a champion. You've already overcome stuff. And, and sometimes when you're in the midst, I'm all for being present, but sometimes when you're too present, and you don't remember the past, you can forget that you already overcame a lot of stuff. You already survived a lot of stuff. And when you're right in the middle of the thing, sometimes you can think, oh, this one's going to do the end. Uh, this, this isn't going to, I'm not going to survive this one. Yeah, you will, because you did it before. You, you underestimate yourself. I mean, you were born a champion. And you still are a champion. And it doesn't matter if you spent 40 years wandering around the wilderness. It doesn't matter. God will redeem the time. And when you come back to who you are and come to yourself, just like the prodigal son, when he came to himself, he was fully restored. So your story is not over. And I'm not just, this isn't some like high motivational speak. I mean, this is, this is the word of the Lord. Do you hear me? Like you have to believe in your ability to get up again. A just man falls seven times and gets up again. Rejoice not over me, my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. You have to remind yourself that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And remember your testimony. You're, you're made overcomers not just by the blood of the Lamb, but by the word of your testimony. This is what I already... That's why I talk about myself so much, because I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm telling you, here's my testimony. I'm still here. I'm still prospering. I'm still blessed. I mean, even if you got through... I don't know if this is the case for you. This is the case for me. When you look at maybe some financial challenges you went through last year, and you somehow landed on your feet in 2024, and you're like, 
I don't know how we pulled that off. Y'all feel me? Like, I don't know how I pulled that off, but okay, that's what the bank says I have. Okay, I guess I <laughs> don't say anything because <laughs> I don't know how we did that one. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? You know what it's like to feel like you had the devourer rebuke for your sake and you think, I don't know, that's a miracle. You look at your bank statement and you're like, that's, that's like walking on water. That's like, the water's parting. How is that even possible? Some of you got through. I did. I got through Christmas. I did everything I wanted to do for Christmas. Bought everybody anything I wanted to buy for Christmas. And if you had told me a few months before Christmas is a coming, I'd be like, oh, Lord, it might be a lean one. It was not. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was like a baller this Christmas. I was like, hey, Christina, you being you're home by yourself? I'll fly out here. I'll go find you a ticket. I'll buy, I mean, I, a few months ago, I'd been like, have a good time in Santa Fe. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> I'm not that guy. I'm the guy that if I want my daughter here for Christmas, she's only coming for three days. I don't care. How much of the flyer here? We got, you know, I was so happy when I walked in to mom's house. She's up, she's cooking turnip greens. I'm like, I did that. You're welcome. I, I flew her in. Who, who to thunk? And you're the same way. You, you, did what you wanted to do, and you survived. Why? Because you already know how. You know, you think about some of these survivalists. How did they learn all that stuff? It's because they adapt. I've told you this before, and I'm coming to an end, but years ago, I took a group down to Peru, and on this particular, we'd been two or three times, and on this particular one, a survivalist guy took us down the Amazon, and we hiked through the rainforest a little bit. And it was it was cool. I you know all the animals were hiding. I didn't see, you know it wasn't it wasn't like a Tarzan movie, but it was but it was beautiful. So the guy that was leading us, he's one of these um, survivalists that I mean businessmen will fly into Peru for him to train them for you know special camping things or whatever because he. He can teach you how to how to survive. You have to eat bark or whatever. So he was getting real. Uh, he was just starting to say some things that was starting to offend me a little bit, because the implication was, you Americans are so you're so spoiled and pampered. He said you couldn't last out here. 24 hours. He said if somebody put you in this rainforest, you'd be dead within 24 hours. I said. May I say something, please? Why don't you come to Atlanta and drive on 285 in 5 o'clock traffic? I guarantee you my ability to survive 24 hours in this jungle are going to be better than your ability to navigate around 18-wheelers and, and crazy people driving and not looking where they're going and testing where they're driving. And you, and you do it every day. You do it every day and don't even think anything about it. It shut him down. It's like, that's fine. I res, I respect, I respect what you're doing in the rainforest, but I live in a jungle too. It may not look like this jungle, but, but, but I live in a jungle. I'm telling you. So, that's all well and good, you know, that you could tell us how to avoid the anacondas and the tarantulas. 
come on up to my neck of the wood and let's see who's got the survival skill. Because I've been driving on that expressway for many, many years. I don't know how I did it. I'm still here. I am like, somebody should give me an award. <laughs> so you have to remember when you start feeling insecure, you have to be like, no, I'm B.J. freaking Buford. I'm Beth freaking Rubenstein. <laughs> Raven. That's a private chip. <laughs> but sometimes you have to, you have to make that I am declaration. And when somebody starts telling you otherwise, what do you say? No! <laughs> Let's all stand. <laughs> it got in your spirit too. It's like, it so surprised me when he, because it was out of character for him. And I was like, okay, I guess, I guess I won't have it then. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and the fact that as soon as you hear something and you laugh at it, it's like you get impregnated with it. You know what I mean? It becomes part of your consciousness. And, uh, so anyway. Did you get anything out of this today? Of course you did. <laughs> Was it worth driving down from Nashville? All right. All right, please remain standing. I'll show you the outro and then I'll speak a blessing over you. Contributing to Metron is quick and easy. You can give any time using any smartphone. Text the amount you'd like to donate to 404-620-5044. You will then receive a notification that you successfully completed your donation. You may also visit bishopthenow.com and click the support tab to give there as well. When you contribute to Metron, you're also donating to the charity or organization of the month. Thank you for your investment into Metron. If you have a check, make it to JESM, and if you have cash, just pay it forward. Uh, I bless everyone here today. Uh, stir up your pure mind to remember who you are and to walk in it. No weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment the wrong. For this is the heritage of the righteousness is of me. Those are your promises. Hold on to them. Walk in your strength. Walk in your dominion. Walk in your success. Walk in the person that you want to be. Because the universe is responding to what you want as much as it is responding to who you are being. So be somebody. Rise up. I bless you all, and even those of you at home, to do just that. And as I said, now remember, don't come here next Sunday, or nobody be here. But I'm hoping I will see you all in Chattanooga. God bless you. Go in peace. <laughs>